Hello, I'm Drew. And I'm Matthew. And welcome to another episode of Made in Common, where we explore other paths in life through the sharing of others' stories, decisions, and careers. In this episode, we had Dimitri Mevel, who works as an anesthesiologist. Right away, Dimitri's larger-than-life personality kept us laughing with his excellent storytelling and explanations. For the in-depth sections, we touch upon the stresses that prospective or current medical students and younger practitioners may face. We talk about these competitive environments, which constantly push our capabilities for excellence and our desires to live up to our potential. And sometimes, in these moments, we forget to celebrate ourselves and the victories which have gotten us here. Although these examples are detailed through the field of medicine, I believe they are common problems in most competitive fields for today's modern world. We also get to learn a little bit about Dimitri's background and stories of colleagues and their contrarian decisions. And we also get to learn about his personal journey with weight loss, exercise, and tackling addictive foods. A friendly reminder that we don't always align in our views, but we are all made in common. So please respect our guests and respect each other. If you'd like to support us, for now, you can subscribe and leave a rating on whichever platform you're listening to. For written feedback to us or questions for our guests, the best bet is to leave a comment on our YouTube channel. And now, let's enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Made in Common, where we are all made in common. Tonight, we have a special guest, Dimitri. Dr. Mebel, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's one way to say it. Dr. Mebel, who is an anesthesiologist at one of the hospitals in Vancouver. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I mean, one of the things that we were talking about off air is uh, what we should address you by, and you were kind of giving us a lesson in uh, your nickname, which is Dima. So should we call you Dima during the interview? Yeah, I, th- I think that's good. I think that's good. Like I was saying, it's, it's something that, like Russian names have a short form and a long form. And uh, this is kind of the short form nickname that, you know, your friends would call you, your parents would call you, you know, people made in common will call you. <laughs> so I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Is there any backstory behind Because like, just for your context, I work in tech and I manage teams and I, I deal with some teammates from Russia, Ukraine, Poland. They always have these wonderful like backstories. So when I have one-on-ones with them, they'll just give me this, you know, Russian folktale. This guy will just apply it randomly. But like, it is always so amazing and thought-provoking. Like, I'm curious with the names, is there like something backstory behind all that? You know what? I wish I really wish it was a backstory. It's just like, it's like Ivan. It's just like a very common Russian name. Funny enough, my uncle is probably the only other Dimitri Mebel like in the whole world. Oh wow. Yeah. And I'm not named after my uncle. I have asked that question. And it's kind of just like a logical thing when people find out my uncle, who is like older, obviously that my uncle's name is the same as my name. They're like, oh, you named after your uncle. I'm like, no, no, it's just, it's just coincidence. Would you, would you have been honored? To- uh, I mean, that's a good question. That's a good question. I think I just, 
I have my own story. This is, it's a good question. I haven't, I never thought about that. I like my, I, you know, love all my family members, including my uncle. But uh, yeah, I guess just to pay respect to the, to the you know, older generation, I would say I would have some, some degree of being honored, a mm. little bit. So what you're saying is you want your future generations to be named after you with the That's utmost right. respect and dignity. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> you're not my uncle. Not it's me. me. <laughs> you can do uh, different Dimitri spellings for each of them. Oh, there is a million spellings. And it's funny because people always, you know, the usual Starbucks spelling when you go and you say your name, Dimitri, and people just spell it in the most random way. And uh, it's funny because so so my name is is just D-M-I-T-R-Y. So there's Dimitri. But, but, you know, and just and that's just the way I didn't come up with it myself that, you know, when they when they gave me a passport in Russia. When they so so Russian people, this is like a history of somehow always. You know what? No matter what I do, like what I talk about, it somehow always just ends up talking about like Russia and stuff. But anyway, since I started saying it, so the, the so people always had, or oh, for many years, I guess people had two passports: one domestic and one international to travel. So domestic passport is in Russian, of course, and then the international travel passport is in English. And then when you apply for it, they just give it to you. They don't ask for the you know, English spelling of the name. They just spell it for you. And that's, what, that's how they spelled it. That's, you know, that D-M-I-T-R-Y. And, but then, you know, like moving to North America, moving to Canada, you see all sorts of Dimitris walking around. Sometimes it's like double I at the end. <laughs> Sometimes it's, you know, extra I somewhere in the middle. It, there's, I've probably seen like 10 different spellings. So I don't know where they come from. Do you think the Russian government just has like random Dimitri spelling when they issue this? Yeah, it's like a random number generator just to spice it up because otherwise it's too boring. I like it. That's that's amazing. What is the what is the most butchered spelling of Dimitri have you seen? Uh Starbucks. Starbucks. I think I've been called uh Dimitricha. <laughs> what's it's like getting getting my uh, you know uh flat white or whatever uh americano and you just say to me and they like give you that you know blank look and write some shit down and you're like oh this is gonna be this is not gonna be good and then next thing you know it's like demetria and i'm like but they still pronounce no it i'm gonna take it <laughs> wait so they yelled Dimitricha, or did they yell Dimitri? Yeah, I remember it was written on the cup. Oh no! And then I picked it up, and I said, "Oh, that's new. That's a that's a first." That's that's funny, actually. Now that you mentioned this, because my name, which is not really that complex, actually gets butchered all the time at Starbucks. Oh. I don't even know if you ever encountered this problem, Matthew. Oh, you... they, they, I mean, Matthew's not that complex. Or they, I mean, for me, like I'm the double T Matthew, so they'll just omit like a T. Sometimes they'll just spell it French. Like I honestly think Starbucks workers are just trolling everybody in general. Yeah, like, so too. <laughs> How did they name you? perfectly? I mean, you get the DRU, you get the DR, sometimes you get draw a lot. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> sometimes they, they actually like probably half the time people mishear my name. Oh, right. So it's like Rue or it's like Do. 
<laughs> like some other obscene combination of those letters right? you're just like okay i'll take it i kind of at one point wanted to just am i enunciating improperly like should i just change my name for starbucks like should i call myself yeah. bob yeah. Like, I'm ordering our coffee. But. <laughs> you should have a Starbucks name, your own name, a Starbucks name. I remember one time it was like a Halloween or something. And then I just decided to be like a professional Russian for the Halloween. <laughs> and I think <laughs> I, I don't really know exactly what the costume like in companies. But I remember I showed up to Starbucks and when they asked, I just looked at them in a really determined you know, way and I said, Nikolai. And I, I think they got it right. I think they actually got it right. And then they called it out. They said, Nikolai. And I'm like, present. Is that the secret? That's the, yeah. So, what is professional Russian, man? Like, you, you don't remember at all, eh? Like, what was it? Like a suit? Or I hat? was just being Russian. I think I just put, I just put on even like more of an accent, you know, like really, really strong accent, talking like this, smiling, yes, just serious, serious business. No, no smiling. No. Is, that, is that the profession? That's part of it. That's part of it. I'm intimidated already. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. We have a very interesting story, actually from a very mutual friend of ours who said that once upon a time you chipped your tooth while biting into a croissant. What is the story behind that? <laughs> That's a gross uh, over, over, exaggeration. Okay, okay. I did, did chip it. It was not me biting. It was, you know, so first of all, it was a muffin. <laughs> and second of all, it was a... <laughs> second of all, it was a... Um, it, it was actually so. Uh, I'll tell you what it was. You know, it's a it's a fascinating story, truly. Uh, so, it, <laughs> I was. I think I was at this coffee shop, and I, I got a coffee and a pastry. And the pastry was this uh, kind of like a muffin thing, but it had lots of cinnamon and and sugar. So it was really messy. So I was just trying to not make a mess, like with my hands, because I was using my laptop. So I was using a fork. And then I was kind of like hungry and, you know, whatever, after work. So I was just kind of like half eating, half like doing some work. And then I had this nice juicy piece and I just bit in. And then there's a fork. Oh. Like, that, so I bit into the fork. Like we've all done it probably here and there, but it was just bad angle or something. So it, it like, it was a very small chip, but, you know, it was like noticeable when I was, you know, examining this. It was like freaking out. I was like, oh shit. And then I just like drank all my coffee, forgot about all the work. I gotta go home. We gotta, you know, see, assess the damage. But it, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't this, that bad. This was while at work? It was, it was just after work. It was, <laughs> it was actually on my way home from work. That was when I was in Boston. Just, it wasn't even that long ago. That was, this is very fresh, fresh. We are like oh, starting, <laughs> starting with the most recent history. And I, so I was walking, I was walking home. I was like, I, I need a coffee. I need to like do a little bit of work. So I sat down and um, yeah. then the, the, the biting into the fork. Event. Oh no. So do, do you smell the battle scar on your karma for me. It's really <laughs> karma because I have a good friend of mine who I like, always sort of make fun of a little bit, which is like totally oh, just no. a big way. Cause he, he like knocked his tooth out when he was ice skating in undergrad. 
And then, then he had this, like, they, I guess, re-implanted and then they put this cap over it. But then eventually he needed to get, like, a full implant. But then it became this whole thing, oh, no. like, for years. I, I don't think it's even still, like, done. But I, I lost the ability to, like, interact with him because, like, I usually, you know, I invite people for dinner. And that's how I kind of hang out most of the time. But he would refuse because he has this, like, prosthetic tooth that he uses only for cosmetic purposes. And he would, when eating, he would take it out. And then he refuses to eat in public, which is, you know, fair enough. And then there's some sort of, like, setup to get the implant that apparently takes forever. I don't know exactly why. But, but I was kind of, like, here and there just making fun of him. And the whole tooth incident. <laughs> and the next thing you know, it's just like, karma is a bitch. I chipped my own tooth. I was like, I totally deserved it. I deserved it. <laughs> Yeah, do you still have the battle scars? Are they still there? The the, the chip? It's still yeah. there. It's very still... small. Oh, I went okay. to I actually went to see a dentist and then he was like, Don't worry about it. He's like, I'm not even gonna fill it because it's like so small, it's not even like worth it. How does that oh. go go ahead? <laughs> oh just I'm I'm really surprised that dentist is turning it down more money. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, you must have been feeling lazy or something. I don't know. And that was in the US too. So that was uh Oh, there we go. So it must be really small though. Like, is it is it is it something that just you of course like you will notice it because you know it's there, but like has anybody called it out? It's like no, <laughs> no one I mean no one I don't you have to look pretty closely. So I, it's very like I think it's the invasion of personal space. <laughs> <laughs> to really be up close and personal to be able to see it. But yeah, yeah. Wait, so it, it also depends on the angle a little bit. If it's kind of like a little up or a little down. <laughs> so if it was that small, how did you even know you chipped your tooth? Well, because it felt wrong when they bit into the fork. It just oh. felt like that something was off, like the sound. And then I just like felt it like with my tongue. TMI, oh. but I felt I was feeling my teeth and it just felt like there's something missing. <laughs> oh no, that's not a good feeling. We need to get a dentist on here. Oh man, an assessment. Yeah. Just We're... so many, you know what? Moral of the story you just don't know what's going to hurt you next time. So many things out there that can cause damage. This is literally a muffin and a fork. Harmless. Maybe your buddy's onto something. Just don't eat in public. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> gotta be careful. Just gotta be careful. <laughs> what were you doing in Boston? I was. That's a good question. There's or a long answer. To... There's a short answer. Okay. Do we need to? We do. Are we jumping ahead? Do we need to do a long rewind? Is where... we can. You know what? We can. We can do whatever. We can do whatever. Okay. Um, feel it. Yeah, take us through your journey, man. How'd you end up in Boston? I'm assuming, of course, there's a really bad assumption that Vancouver was your home base, which yeah. I don't even know if it is. Is it your home base? Yeah. It oh, is yeah, the cool. home. Yeah, it's the home base. It's been the home. It's been home for 19 years, probably now. I guess a bit of a backstory. So I've done all of my training. I mean, medical training, mostly all the medical training in Vancouver, like medical school and residency. And I did anesthesia for residency. And then I, I went away to Australia to do some extra training. So it's called a fellowship in a specific kind of subspecialty area. So I did cardiothoracic uh, anesthesia. So this is anesthesia for specific types of surgeries, surgeries on the heart, surgeries on the lungs, 
valve replacement surgeries, bypass surgeries, transplant, like heart lung transplant surgeries. So, so it was great. Australia was a really fun place to live for a year. And then I kind of had a bit of a, almost like a travel bug um, just because of the, you know, great experience that they had, just meeting new people, exploring a new country, a new place. So I wanted to kind of go somewhere else, do something, something more, a little bit of extra training, but also a little bit of extra life experience. And then, and then there was this opportunity in Boston that it's sort of a little hard to explain exactly what it is because it's so subspecialized. But it's basically learning how to do ultrasound of the heart while a certain set of procedures is being done on the heart. The last really 10, 15 years, these things have been becoming more widespread. And every year there's new procedures. So there's some procedures that are all done what's called percutaneously. So they're all done through a little opening in the leg that kind of leads into the vein or an artery. And then all these small devices, all these small catheters get delivered through the leg vein or leg artery all the way into the heart. And you can do a lot with that stuff. You can fix leaky valves. You can replace valves that are either too tight or too leaky. You can close heart defects. You can close holes inside the heart. And of course, it's as opposed to doing a big open heart surgery. This mm -hmm. is a very um, something that's much easier on the body, especially for older people who um, don't have a lot of reserve and having major heart surgeries like being, I tell patients, is like being run over by a bus or by a train. So this procedure, the recovery is not even comparable in terms of how quick it is. Well, the caveat is that all the procedures are done internally, so you can't really see what, what you're doing uh, with your naked eye. So there's uh, ways that we can, we can observe what's happening inside the heart. So the heart ultrasound or echo is another term for it, uh, transesophageal echo. The ultrasound that sits in your esophagus uh, just behind the heart. They can take kind of real-time videos of what's happening, and then you can guide those devices that the proceduralist is, is using to fix those problems in the heart. So I'm kind of like medically stupid, so bear the ignorant question here. But like, is, is this, it sounds like, are you branching out from anesthesiology? Like, it yeah, sounds like they're a little bit different domains a little bit here, like the ultrasound versus that. Yeah. Yes and no. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, it's still all of it. I think anesthesia is very interesting. And like many other fields in medicine, anesthesia is not an exception. So a lot of things evolve over time. So, you know, surgery, subspecialties have been evolving over the last decades. Medicine subspecialties have been evolving. And anesthesia itself is, is not... There's, there's a lot of complexity in the surgical procedures and in patients that we do these days. People are older, people are sicker, procedures are more complicated. There's a lot of technology involved. And I think anesthesia is not an exception. There's a lot more technology that we're starting to incorporate in our usual day-to-day -day anesthetic. And I think, I, I suppose you can think about it as a bit of a branching out, but this is, it's also at the same time, I think in the future, this becoming something that's within the scope of 
of certain anesthesiologists, not, maybe not every single anesthesiologist, but certain group of people who do uh, a lot of anesthetics for heart surgeries. I think this will be, this is something that will be within the scope of a lot of people. Cool. Yeah. So are, are you also the person sticking that, what was that humming wire up the vein too? Like that, that just sounds no, so that would, be, that would be super cool. No. So when I was in Boston, I actually got to, got to assist a little bit with those okay. procedures. And that was, that was really cool. I, I really like, I always like hands-on stuff. Yeah. Like I was always pretty like if something needs to be fixed at home or like MacGyver, some random <laughs> stuff. I think a lot of Russian people are pretty good at that because, you know, growing up, there's really not a lot of resources. Everyone is poor or cheap or both. So rather than, you know, buying something specific, a specific tool, a specific device, people just come up with this, you know, kind of temporary solutions that become probably permanent solutions that are not maybe the most elegant things, but they work. So I think I always enjoy that. But in anesthesia, we do a little, a little bit of hands-on things. We do a little bit of procedures. It's not surgery uh, by mm -hmm. any means, but I always kind of enjoy that aspect of hands-on stuff. So I got to, you know, help with this procedures and a little bit in Boston. It was really, it was really fun. I think I assisted on like 10 aortic valve replacements all done for this, you know, blood vessel. Oh, wow. And it felt really cool. You know, I wasn't really doing much. I literally was just like holding the wire and like <laughs> passing and wiping thing with a little bit of gauze. But I was like, yeah, so good. <laughs> so you don't get an opportunity to do that here locally? It's, it's, um, it's, not something we typically do. I think like as a, I was in my kind of wearing my trainee hat in Boston, I, I got to, to do that a little bit. But typically when you're working as a consultant in, you know, um, in any field, you don't really get to do, um, unfortunately, actually, you don't really get to do uh, that type of learning anymore. You kind of just focus on your own area because someone has to be doing that part. Yeah, so I was fortunate to to have the opportunity. Was uh, anesthesiology your your first choice, or how did you come across into wanting to do that field as a specialty? Yeah, it's a good question. It was one of my choices. It was definitely up there from the very beginning. So I think I was I was pretty fortunate to learn about it pretty early on. I I sort of learned about it even before I started medical school. The pharmacology uh, background? Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I was in pharmacology at UBC doing my undergrad there. And it's it, just the nature of the department at UBC is that it's a joint department with anesthesia. Mm -hmm. So I think what was happening at the pharmacology just wasn't doing very well on the department scale in terms of you know, money and uh, kind of departmental support and all the kind of other things. So I think it was kind of this merger that happened way before my time when they joined it with anesthesia, with anesthesiology. It was a beneficial for the students because we got to meet anesthesiologists who taught some of the lectures, some of the classes on, on drugs, like anesthetic agents and just medications in general. It was really cool when, when you are still an undergrad and you still don't really know what's really out there in, in the world of medicine. And in general, you get to see these people who work with patients on a day-to-day -day and 
they share their stories that are very kind of clinical about the, the medications you learn about. So it makes things stick much better, makes things, it's easier for you to remember and kind of appreciate it as well. There's a few and they're all very good teachers. They were all very good at how they delivered the information. And they were really passionate about teaching. And I think I, I just got inspired by a few of those people who were teaching us some of those classes. And I kind of just wanted to learn more and know more about it. And when I started medical school, you can do this thing when you shadow what's called shadow a specialist, where you essentially literally what it sounds like you kind of spend a day or a few days with them and just see, observe what kind of work they do what kind of procedures they get involved in, how they do medicine, how they interact with patients. And uh, <clears throat> kind of early on in medical school, I, I tried to do that and enjoyed it a lot. And I decided that I'll, I'll, I want to pursue that as a career. Is it like, was it a super competitive field to get into, like that kind of specialty? or um, it, it wasn't. It was sort of mid-range. It was a lot of the, the competitiveness in medicine when it comes to picking a residency spot, so your training spot, what specialties you pursue. A lot of it really has to do with how many spots are available in the country. Uh, yeah. And that's like kind of dictated by how many of those specialists you need. So, you know, something that has very few spots like plastic surgery or cardiac surgery or you know, dermatology or ophthalmology that literally has 10 spots across Canada. All it takes is, you know, 15, 20 medical students that are interested in pursuing it. And it becomes quite competitive. I think anesthesia was sort of mid-range. I think they had about 90 spots across Canada. And we had about 110 applicants Mm. that wanted to do it. So I think it ended up being fairly even. And like out of 110 people who were applying, not everyone is, you know, 100% set on the specialty. There some people apply just to give it a shot and they have some other plans. They have some other specialties there, family medicine that they are kind of concurrently applying. So it's not like if they don't get in that they, you know, forever jobless, they're not going to get a training spot. Typically, people would have some sort of backup plan or some sort of, you know, other kind of plan B or maybe anesthesia is plan B for them. They're actually gunning for, they're applying for some other specialty. Interesting. I was just going to say, like, how disheartening was that? Like, for a younger student that's, like, getting into med, has probably some aspirations of getting into one of those competitive fields. Was there a lot of awareness of how competitive it was going to be once you were in med, because from from my perspective, for example, at one point I did consider applying to med, and that was competitive enough just to get in. But once within med, there is like another level of competition. So, how disheartening is that for like a young student going through something like that? It's tough for sure, and I think the nature of the personalities that medicine attracts due to, you know, whatever various reasons, there's a lot of sort of type A personalities, maybe some high strong personalities who, and people are not used to failure. Yeah. People are not used, people are used to being quite successful 
in their professional lives. So it's it, it's it's not easy to be able to you know not get what what you are main choices. And I think just the way it's it's sort of like the self propagating hysteria a little bit in medicine. So it's you you're in a silo where you all you know is this people who have a very similar mindset and when there is some sort of high stress situation unfortunately it's all like it's it's hard for people to just chill chill yeah. and kind of you know process things there's a lot of there's a lot of this positive feedback of anxiety <laughs> and positive feedback of all this kind of negative emotions and 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 feelings that kind of propagates itself yeah was there a lot of awkwardness? Like, did you have some groups of friends that you were kind of buddy buddy with? And then when like the time came and like, like it was go time, now it's every man for yeah, every woman and man for themselves. Yeah, it's you know it's a really good question. I I haven't thought about that for a while, but not with close friends, not <laughs> with close friends. But we, there were definitely some awkward moments <laughs> with with people I knew that. For whatever reason, it was people who were kind of reluctant to acknowledge that they were applying for anesthesia. I remember someone who I was actually—it's interesting because it's like you'll—you'll find out eventually. <laughs> it's not like it's you're gonna only hide it so for so long. I remember someone who who I was doing like a rotation with when I was a senior medical student in my last year of medicine. And it was not an anesthesia rotation. And then they sort of, people ask you when you, when you come in rotations, in, especially in fourth year, people are always asking, you know, second or first question, they ask you, what do you want to do? What, what, like, why are you here? And I said, oh, I, I'm like interested in anesthesia, but I'm just doing this because it's kind of interesting. It was sort of cardiology-like uh, rotation. I just thought it's relevant to anesthesia. Uh, anesthesia was nice because you can do like anything and be like, relevant you know it's you know you're looking after the whole body like hearts lungs kidneys it's all kind of relevant but in any case so so and then this person was uh basically they, they just said oh they want to do something else they want to do that you know cardiology like specialty and then i haven't thought much of that and then of course you know we finished the rotation two weeks later and the next time i see them was at the first interview for anesthesia. Okay, and I was like, dude, like, what happened? Like, are you still applying for cardiology? And like, no, no, I'm, it's just anesthesia now. Hard to <laughs> yeah. But then, you know what? Like, not to say anything, but things change and people, um, that last year of medical school is kind of a really stressful time because people have to decide what they want to do. And you start making decisions with limited information. You have the snapshots of the field of the specialty you're applying for that you have early on in medical school. And then you kind of have to tailor your last year to that application. So you do extra time in, in, those, in, the, in the field. And then sometimes people realize that's not really what they want pretty late. And then it takes, it takes some guts to actually change things around. Uh, when you are, when, you know, the application deadlines are coming up and having, you know, changing things pretty late is, uh, it does take some grit for sure. 
I'm curious too with like you're talking about like open positions and it's it's all across Canada, right? I imagine that's like by like city too. Like I'm curious if they had, let's say there's five open positions, but they're like four of them are in none of it. And one of them is some, you know, I'm not hating on none of it, but I imagine not many people want to move there. (laughs) So do people like, well, I'm not going in that specialty because I don't want to work there. It's very, yeah, it's, it's, that's exactly the case. Okay. Exactly the case. So a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with if you want a certain specialty, mm-hmm. but of course it's, you know, training in most of the specialties is, you know, five years, um, on average. So it's five years. And, you know, if you go somewhere, if you go to Saskatoon or Winnipeg to train there for five years, doesn't mean you'll have to stay. But it is, you know, five years of your life during, you know, your mid to late 20s. Uh, and when people are starting to have families, when people are starting to think about settling down, they have their significant others. And um, that all comes into consideration as well, having, um, having to make those decisions where to go. And then, of course, you know, being used to the weather, being used to sort of lifestyle, having your family, you know, close by or far away, that all kind of comes in uh, in consideration. It was interesting. I remember when I was doing my interviews, we were kind of flying. It's kind of an interesting time in itself. They all happen. Now it's all virtual. But, you know, when I was going through it, it was all in person. So you go literally fly to each place where you want to interview and it all happens you know over three weeks or so and there's usually interview day and then there's a social day before the day after where people kind of go out with with the faculty with other with residents in the program people have a few beers a few drinks they talk about the program itself in a less professional setting and then next thing you know you have a flight to next destination in the day so you always and you have your suit you have your carry-on and it's like this rock star lifestyle <laughs> where it's like so hard then you party and then you know you fly to a new place you repeat your interview <laughs> suit and then you, you have another party another event and then you just keep on going is it is it really it was a fun time you know it was a stressful it's a really weird you're always kind of on edge but at the same time, you, I guess the more stressed people are, the more likely they are to let loose during those events, during those social events. So is that so like the next layer? So let's say you're talking about, let's, let's reduce the number to make it more like simpler. Let's say it's like there's 10 open spots. Yeah. And there's some spots open in Vancouver. Then you have those pe- 20 people apply, 10 are offered. Is there another round for people fighting for like the city? Like, do you get to pick which city you want to go in? Or is yeah. that more random? It's it's actually a very good um, system that they have for the applicants. It's a, it's a match system, and uh, it's a computer algorithm oh. that does the match. And it's it's meant to maximize the first choices or the top choices rather of the applicants and the top choices of the programs. Okay, well, because, because both of being ranked and both are ranking. So I'll, I'll be ranking, you know, Vancouver, Toronto, Edmonton, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, Vancouver and Edmonton will also be ranking, you know, number one, Drew, number two, Matthew, number three, Dimitri, 
and so on. And then other places would rank slightly differently. And then they, they basically feed it into the computer and they put it through the algorithm. And it kind of puts things together in a way that it, it's meant to make as many people and as many programs happy. Oh, cool. It's like being it a freak. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a good way to do it, but it's obviously there's obviously disappointments uh, on both sides. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, so apologies, I had to flag a pause in a podcast because we were getting some feedback. And uh, if you're on the YouTube video, Dimitri has kindly put on his headphones for us as I really interrupted him. So sorry about that, Dimitri. <laughs> All good. All good. I do. Um, just to continue further, just a little bit longer on this topic, because I'm trying to think in the perspective of someone that's younger, maybe in med school, maybe trying to apply, maybe even a doctor, just wanting to think about things a little more. But I wanted to give a little bit of a, a bird's eye view. So the situation you were describing, you said they were in the final year. So I want to calculate this. So I think for med, is it still like this where you have to have an undergrad still, right? And a bunch of prereqs to apply? Or what's the earliest so you can apply to med? I, I think it depends a little bit. And, you know, I've been kind of out of the loop for a few years, but you could theoretically have, uh, depends on the school, but you could theoretically have three years. Okay. An undergrad degree. And so let's say, oh, so sorry, in prerequisite classes. Okay, cool. So let's say optimistically you've done three years undergrad. Mm -hmm. And then you said final year of medicine, which is the fourth year, right, of your undergrad in medicine? Correct. So and the Again, optimist... it depends on the school a little bit. So most yeah. places would be four years. I think McMaster is three and Calgary is three. But I oh, think okay. all the I other schools that. are four. Okay, cool. So maybe even in an average scenario then, it's about seven years that you're at this point now we're kind of at a crossroad and maybe, I don't know, I'm projecting myself here when I was younger. I was a little bit starstruck. I was very tunnel visioned. I didn't really know how the world worked. I didn't know how much competition there was. But placing myself in those shoes, like what kind of advice can you give to a younger, let's say like a prospective medical student or someone that's in med right now and maybe they're sort of feeling a little pessimistic, like, oh crap, I can't go for that dermatology role. Or maybe... Yeah. Maybe I don't want to actually try for this and fail. Like maybe I should stay safe and stick to what's the, like probably family medicine is the quote unquote safe option. Like what kind of words of advice can you give to them? Well, I think number one is to try as much as you can. And it's probably the hardest part. It's the hardest thing, but try as much as you can to tune out the noise. There's a lot of noise and there's a lot of what I was saying earlier where you have this highly competitive group of people who, you know, are all type A personalities who kind of feed off each other's anxiety and this high strong feeling. And it's all almost becomes a little bit like the, the social media oh, yeah. uh, thing where you see this kind of projected images of people on Instagram, Facebook, what have you, but they don't necessarily represent the actual person. They don't necessarily represent the, the actual applicant. And it's this rat race that you're never gonna win. So I think 
trying as much as you can to tune out the noise and kind of just focus on doing what, number one, you enjoy doing and what you, you know, are genuinely interested in pursuing. And, and obviously, it takes a lot of determination. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of time that needs to be put in towards your goal of whatever specialty it is. But I think if you just focus, if you have more of an introspective approach, as opposed to having this kind of the social, like I was saying, the social media effect of looking at all the superstars that are doing crazy research, publishing in nature, or doing some sort of, you know, being buddy buddies with, with someone from the admission committee or or have like a family member or have a friend or have some sort of non-conventional thing. I think it's it's just really easy to get caught up in that line of thinking. And that's not really gonna generally it's not really gonna do any favors. I think it's only gonna make you more stressed and make you feel like you're already falling behind. Even though you might actually be doing quite well. You might actually be exactly on the right track. So I think yeah, that's, that's tough. That's probably the most important thing. That's tough. Like I would say for especially those type A personalities you mentioned that things might not work out the way they, you know, you thought they might. And like failing gracefully is really hard, especially the first time you fail. If like you've already strived all the way there, you're in med school and you might still feel like a failure. Imagine that. Like they say it's really hard for those high performers to even celebrate their victories. How often did you celebrate your victory? When you got into med school, did you even like celebrate at all? Or was it already on to the next challenge? And how many yeah. people actually had a chance to celebrate themselves? You know, that's really hard. Just hearing stories myself of how hard it is in there. And you're just, it's constantly at the whip. It's like the whip's at your back all the time. The carrot's dangling in front of you, but you can't even like celebrate. Holy cow, I'm actually going to be a doctor no matter what. Is there anything there that resonates with you or people you know or... Oh, for sure. I think this is a very common thing. People are, first of all, too hard on themselves. People are much more likely to acknowledge their, not even failures, but their missteps or something they did not in the most optimal, not in the best way, and, and kind of criticize themselves and have this feeling of, uh, like, I'm not accomplishing what I can be accomplishing. I'm not really using my full potential and, you know, being really hard on themselves and, and really critical. I think that's way more common than people truly, like you were saying, Drew, celebrating their accomplishments and giving themselves credit for things they have achieved and things they have done and things they've succeeded. I think it's a, it's a thing, something we see all the time. I, I probably not even just in medicine, probably oh, yeah. in other fields as well. People really taking things for granted when, when things come to them, even though they've spent significant time and effort and you know, sweat and tears and blood and what have you. But once, once the goal is achieved, it's exactly what you said. You kind of just say, okay, that's good. Let's you know, have a drink and move on to the next goal. What, you know, what's my next big achievement going to be? And, and it's not, not even close. 
to how much people self-loathe and criticize themselves for for something they haven't done. They haven't self-loathe. That's a word. Yeah. Holy mm. cow. The negative self-talk. <laughs> yeah. It's a big it's a it's a real thing. Yeah, for sure. Like uh one more just one more point on this. You don't have to name names, but just for a little bit more of the other side of the coin. Do you know of people that didn't make like maybe their first and second choices and they're like in a spot right now that, hey, you know what? They're actually pretty content. Life actually worked out. It wasn't the end of the world. Whereas maybe when you're a student applying, it sort of does feel like the end of the world if you don't get your first and second choice. Yeah. Lots. Lots. Well, for and sure. They're, they're doing there's good. There's a lot of people. They're doing good. People figure things out. People, a lot of people adapt. They, they learn how, I think this is just part of the human nature. Yeah. You, uh, you know, you go through the stages of grief, you go through all this denial and bargaining and all whatever other stages are, but you, you do get acceptance eventually. And I think once you get acceptance, you can finally move on and you, you actually make things work for yourself. And then you look back and then perhaps you realize that that was the silver lining. That's something you, you've tried, you haven't really accomplished, you, you taken a different path you've taken a different route and now you're actually pretty content you're pretty happy and you have a lot of satisfaction from what you do and you enjoy what you do awesome. i have definitely there's definitely people i know personally you know a good friend of mine who actually wanted to do anesthesia and tried for a couple of years and eventually ended up doing family medicine and and he's loving it he actually he found awesome. a way to to practice within the field of family medicine that really works for him, that he enjoys, and he he's very happy. Yeah, I guess I'm around that too. Like, I guess it's not people could always retrain too. Like, is it is it common or is it like uncommon? So let's say, you know, so, your, your friend went to family medicine. I'm sure he's happy. He does it. He has that challenge, right? Yeah. But let's say there's that inkling. It's like, oh, damn it. I, I really need to get to anesthesia, you know, anesthesia. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Just for the bucket list. Can they? Like, how realistic is retraining here? Nothing is impossible. Sure. Nothing is impossible. I think the further away you get from training, the more years you spend in a specific career, the harder it gets. People retrain all the time when people come to Canada as something called IMGs, international medical graduates. When they did, um, they were a surgeon or they were an internist or pediatrician or what have you in a different country. And then when they, when they come to Canada, they still want to pursue medicine, but for whatever reasons, the field where they previously worked is just Either the odds of getting in is just not very high or um, there's really no um, training spots or whatever reason. So they end up retraining in other fields of medicine. They, they do well. They kind of they find themselves or they rediscover themselves. Uh, that's number one. And number two, there are definitely people, uh, again, people I know who were in certain fields doing the training and then they ended up switching into family medicine from like a five-year training program whether it's anesthesia or surgical specialty or anything and 
people switching the other way around. It's funny enough, it's not something that people really acknowledge, like on a more institutional basis. It makes it really sound like switching to a different field is something that's near to impossible. But in reality, there's, you know, I personally have witnessed people who have done it. But like I said, it, it gets harder. We, it's actually a pretty fascinating story I have to share. When I was a second year resident, we had someone who joined in into anesthesia from a different field, from a, from a field of pediatric intensive care. And this person was actually not a trainee. This person was someone who has finished their training and worked for almost 10 years wow. as a pediatric intensivist. And then for the various reasons, they decided to pursue anesthesia. So they basically had to abandon their physician lifestyle, their comfort zone. And that was a huge switch. That was a, that was a really, really big switch. And again, this is, it takes, it's, it's almost hard to imagine how much grit, determination, bravery, what have you, yeah. it takes to, to do that. Uh, having a family, having children, having a mortgage, having all the financial implications, implications of having an established career, having respect of your colleagues, having a job. There's so many things that you lose. And there is something that what you're gaining, you don't actually know exactly. You're, you're kind of just uncertainty. It's a gamble. Yeah. There, it's a huge uncertainty. So, but you know, the, this person I know is uh, probably one of the smartest people I know who, who did that. He, they, he ended up returning anesthesia and doing really, really well. Oh yeah, I can't imagine. Like that's super commendable. There's like mm-hmm. a huge sunk cost fallacy in there too, right? Like you poured all that time into there and, and especially if you have a family, imagine like the, the question marks they might have if they're kind of accustomed to a lifestyle that's sort of stable. I would imagine there's a lot of factors we don't know, but I could also imagine how hard that is, sure. especially mentally, right? But you can also say there's a story that's a perfect example of like, it's almost never too late as long as you have a will, right? Yeah. So and is there we like were... a, sorry. Uh, no, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I mean, just, you, you mentioned like fi- financial too, right? So is it is it more like the financial implication that, you know, that person had to step away from his position, go train, then find it like a, like a quote unquote, like a new job altogether? Or like if he gets that position, passes training, like how does the salary band, do you know how the salary bands work? Because 10 years of experience is still in the realm of medicine. If he was making, let's say, X amount in in that field, as long as he gets a role in in you know, the new field, yeah. does he command that same salary, or is that is that really different it, because it's a new job now? It's it, it, you know the short answer depends. It depends okay. on the field where you're switching from, where you're switching into. Uh, there's a really big discrepancy in physician salary. There's a really uh, depending on the field. I think there's this opportunity cost. That uh, because yeah. as a trainee, universally, the compensation per hours, you know, per hour worked is 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 really uh, someone did the math. Like when I was a resident, it turned out to be like less than minimum wage for the hours that you work because yeah. you get paid like a set salary that's not that bad, but per hour, if you work it out, it, it ends up being like you you may probably making more working fast food joint. 
and having not having to be up all night uh, on call and working on the weekends and and just doing long shifts like 24 hour 36 hour shifts so i think stepping back into that trainee role uh, is tough because of that because it's a very very tangible drop in the compensation that you get for that time that you're retraining and then, of course, the uncertainty of the job that you'll get and the job availability, the compensation for the job is there as well. Dimitri, how long have you been practicing now? Like, when were those years when you were in that residency? And I started residency in 2015. Oh, okay. okay. And I finished in 2020. Okay, okay. So I, <laughs> I, I haven't shaved for like a couple of days, so that that usually adds a few years. No, 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 no. It was <laughs> for those listening. He he doesn't have that thick. He's he's completely fine right now. <laughs> you, you're young. Yeah, uh, just a few years yeah, until retirement. Until a few years until I'm retiring. No, the reason I brought it up is because I wanted to raise the awkward story about, uh, we're going to do it on here in the podcast. We're going to raise the awkward story of how we first met and you have, you don't even remember. I think that was way back in like, that might've been 2015 actually, now that I mention it. Um, and it was like, which is the, almost a year, almost a decade. You're right. It is yeah, almost. Holy a cow. That's crazy. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. But one thing I wanted to raise is that I don't know if I told you this. When I first met you, you were you were a bit bigger. And then when I saw you again at our mutual friend's wedding, I didn't even recognize you. I'm going to be honest. And I have to really commend you for that because you're like, in the words of Matthew, my co-host here in an earlier episode, you got the Arnold Schwarzenegger body now. Like, Oh, just, God. No, no. Completely different person. Like... <laughs> What happened there? Were you like really stressed from residency or something or? Well, I think probably usually what happens in residency, if anything, people probably pick up the bad habits and then they gain weight. You know, my friend gained a lot of weight just being on call and kind of eating fast food on his way home after being on call because all you want to do is just have like a bite of something, some greasy, satisfying, cheesy you know, fast food and, and then just shower and go to bed or not even shower, just go to bed. I think what happened to me, I was, I turned 30. I'm 36 now. So I was in uh, second year residency. And I remember going out for dinner with some friends. And uh, I remember, you know, taking some photos and then looking at the photos later. And I've been, you know, sort of chubby for probably majority of my life with various ups and downs. And I lost some weight when I started medical school and gained a little bit towards the end of medical school. But I just remember looking at myself and I was like, well, I'm 30 years old. I mean, it sounds very dramatic, but you know, you get one life and I, and this is no way to say that, you know, people who are bigger have less worth as human okay, beings. That's not what people. I was implying. Yeah. That's not, and I know, I know, yeah. but I'm just saying that you know, each person kind of decides for themselves what they, what they're happy with. For me, I just thought I'll be happier if I lose some weight, if I get more fit, if I exercise. 
And there's really, there's really no secret. The solution is, is not, for most of us, is probably not that hard, but it's about a lifestyle change. And this is the hard part. Changing your habits, changing your lifestyle is what's hard. So I remember that I, I, I needed some sort of, I needed like a milestone. And I was never a runner, but I figured I'm going to run the sun run. I'm going to sign up and oh, wow. I, at least I have like a, a specific date in mind that I need to train for. And I was like, I'm going to run it no matter what, because I was always pretty cheap and I paid your whatever application fee. I was like, well, it's going to be a waste <laughs> if I don't run. So I have to run and I can't walk. I, I've never done like a 10K. I don't think I've even done like a 5K race before. And that's what I did. So I signed up and then I started training and kind of both go hand in hand, sort of cutting down on snacks. That's what gets you, I think, the most. I remember being on call when, when I was a junior resident at night, you just feel like really tired and you just feel like you just need a little bit of extra kind of positive emotional energy and you just boost. go on your vending machine, a little boost exactly. So you get like some, some chips or some nuts or something that's like, it all adds up, I think. So, so that was it, cutting down the snacks. Number two, I think I've sort of discovered the, the whole intermittent fasting thing, oh. which is, you know, who knows? I'm not an expert in diets and intermittent <laughs> fasting by any means, but I think it's just, to me, it was just like simple math. You know, if you don't have breakfast, that kind of eliminates the calories that you normally get from breakfast. And if you still eat the same for lunch and you still eat the same for dinner, now you don't have breakfast, you just eat less overall. For most of us, unless you have, you know, people have all sorts of metabolic, hormonal issues, et cetera. But for most of us, it's, it's just whatever goes in, whatever comes out, you do the math. You either gain weight and you lose weight. For fitness, you know, if you exercise a little bit on top of that, it kind of helps with your, I think, overall well-being. It helps probably with your mental health i think for me is is a big aspect it definitely makes me feel better doing some activities whether it's running or gym or going on a bike ride doing like a bigger hike it, it does kind of make me feel better so that was it but that was the easy part after the the sun run i want to say sort of came the hard part but it wasn't i think it was like a good amount of of time that I was training it was a few months that I was training. I sort of created this new habit. It doesn't mean that the old habits completely went away. I mean, I love my Korean fried chicken and <laughs> occasional oh, yeah. dominoes, you know, <laughs> late at night and, and, and all of that stuff. But trying what I still try to do, if I'm feeling snacky, I'll just have like an apple instead. I'll have some grapes instead, instead of having something like high in calories, like chips or granola bar or nuts even. Uh, and people say nuts are healthy, but like they probably are healthy, but like, damn, they pack a lot of calories. There's a lot of calories in nuts. <laughs> I can't stop myself too with the nut snacks as well. Holy cow. It's not yeah. healthy to have the nuts and the pizza together, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's all relative. Cool, it's yeah. all relative. <laughs> but yeah. And then I have discovered, oh, it was pretty funny. I, when I went to Australia, I sort of became obsessed with this workout. And I almost became like their impromptu, like involuntary ambassador for them because I would always like talk about them. So, so it's uh, what, it's what, what is this? Oh no, we do it's the same F45. thing. It's called F45. 
<laughs> I, 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 do, you, do you do F45? I do, well? I do. I, I've started it's like so last good, year. Man. Good, yeah, yeah. I, I do it. It's, so, I, it's like a totally a cult. It's totally a cult. <laughs> but it's like, and it's expensive as it's, hell too. So like for context, like my girlfriend got into fitness. She was doing it. And like, how much are you paying for a gym? She's like, oh, like I even haggled mine. I'm getting the yeah. cheap rate at $50 yeah. a week. Well, I'm just like, what the yeah. hell is this? So expensive. Yeah. And then I was like, I'm not going to stick with it. And then I ended up doing it. Hey, it's actually like it it forces me into it. It's kind of culty. Yeah. I think that helps too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's like autopilot. You show up and you don't think you just do. You have a yeah. workout and then you're done. Totally. And it's easy. <laughs> they tell you. And like every time I just go on and on, like when I tell people, they're like, are they like paying you? Are they like, I, I wish they were paying me. Program. I, uh, anyway, I actually, I had a pretty big break. I haven't actually done it for a while because I was away in Boston. They, they didn't really have a studio close by. And, but I'm back now. So I'm going tomorrow. Foxtrot baby. <laughs> which which, uh, which the, location that, did you go to? I What's so this human? is I'm trying I I used to be in Olympic Village so I used to go to the Olympic Village location, yeah. but now I'm downtown so I'm I'm a little far from it so there's a there's a location downtown. Can you guys give um some context of what this F45 is like? Give a really high overview because <laughs> I, I have no idea. Drew tomorrow. Are you busy? <laughs> 8 a.m. Let's go. I'll hook you up with a trial. <laughs> Imagine I'm saying that too. I got a trial. It's like, it reminds me of people who do spinning and CrossFit's the same thing, right? They always got that culty vibe, but it works, yeah. right? You can see the results. But anyways, give me, as a viewer, I'm a viewer right now. So tell me what yeah. exactly is F45? Yeah. Give me like the, the elevator pitch or what actually happens yeah. in these workout sessions. Yeah. And then, Matthew, feel free to jump in to get kind of your perspective too. But I think the best way to describe it is a circuit workout. Each day has its own theme. Some sessions are more cardio-based. Some sessions are more resistance-based. Some are combo. And as the name implies, it's usually 45 minutes. And oh. it's a very no waste of time. So like... Mm -hmm. My, the problem with, with gym for me, and everyone's different, but my biggest problem with the gym is that I go to the gym, I, you know, mess around with some weights. Yeah. I, you know, I don't really do probably the right routine. I probably don't do enough reps, so I don't, you know, do something that I should be doing. And then I would, like, go, like, on the treadmill, because treadmill is free now, and, like, some dude is, like, hogging all the weights. <laughs> and then I do, like, some other random stuff. And I kind of feel like I'm doing something and I don't really know, like, there's no system for me, especially like when I was kind of pre F45, I, I was novice to the whole gym environment. And then I also would like spend a lot of time kind of wasting time because I, I'll be like resting. Yeah. Do I really need to rest? Maybe, but you know, maybe I don't need to rest as for as long as I'm resting. But I, I think I end up just kind of in like 45 minutes at the gym, I probably only do like 50% of the work yeah. I would be doing if I go to a studio workout where you have to follow a certain uh, pace that's set for you. And it does kind of make things definitely more challenging, but there's a certain pace, there's certain sets of exercises, presumably developed in a way so that you work on different muscle groups. You don't just skip on your cardio, you kind of do a balanced workout. And at the end of the session, you just feel like you've put in good work. 
Like that's mm-hmm. how I feel after all the sessions. I just feel like, oh man, like this last 45 minutes, whatever it was, depending on the plan, like $25, $30, kind of like worth the money because you've, you've been doing stuff for the whole 45 minutes. You know, even during the rest, they sometimes do the supersets where instead of resting, you do this crazy like burpees or like, and you just want to die. You just feel so tired. But when you're done, you're like, oh man, I'm so awesome. I'm just killing it. And they're, so anyway. tricky. they're really tricky too, because the thing I appreciate the most is I've been like, how many classes have I done? I think I'm like 212 or something like that. Now. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I try to go four to five times a week. I just nice. go right after Nice. Work. Yeah. Um, it's still to this day, like, I know if, like, if I had to run, I'm like, oh, yeah, my running is pretty good. I'm not out of breath. But when I'm doing the class, I just feel like not, quote, unquote, out of shape a little bit because I'm always, they beat you down really good. So they vary it, like, every, almost every yeah. week. So you're, you're never doing yeah. the same workout again. Yeah. Yeah. So they're really good at kind of confusing you. And sometimes yeah. it's like, yeah, they have their benchmarking sessions at the end. So you can properly gauge your improvement there. Because it's yeah. like, they really do mess with you every day. And it's hard yeah. to gauge. Like, am I actually yeah. getting better? I don't know. I just felt like I died. <laughs> <laughs> but you also, I think what happens is you push yourself more. Sure. Like yeah. every time you kind of go a little bit faster or you go for like heavier weights. And it makes sense that you feel probably more tired, just as tired, because you, you're actually doing more. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's good. I'm excited. I'm excited for tomorrow. <laughs> Is that like full body, like non, no weight, high intensity training, I guess, that kind of category? There, there is some weight training as well. Oh, there's some weights it's, as well. It's not meant to really make people like bulk up a lot. It's more like it stands for F45 is functional 45. So I think the premise is that to make you functionally fit and and functionally strong, whatever that means. But like it's not, I I think like if you really want to get super jacked, I don't think it's probably, it's the, because they do a lot of cardio. Not a strong thing, I guess. Yeah. They they, they do lean muscle. Green like muscle, muscle, but not not like, like yeah. uh, you know, like, like the bodybuilder de- deadlifting and squats and all that stuff, right? Yeah. So it's like if I, I even ask some of the coaches, there's some of them who are very lead muscle. They're just like, I just do this, but I just do it like a whole bunch. And some people who are mm-hmm. more bulkier, they'll do this. But it's like, yeah, I go to the gym and I just lift crazy hard. So, yeah, if you're looking for bodybuilding, it's probably not the best. Yeah. program for it but again it's just i don't want to be on all sorts of things <laughs> i just i just don't want to be out of breath when i do things <laughs> and at yeah. least be like kind of build lean muscle <laughs> how about for the yoga nerds do they do any mobility flexibility training or anything like that or is a that a warm bit. i guess maybe a little, a little, little warm okay there's a little i think it depends a little bit on the studio as well mm-hmm. i think some places do a moderate amount of you know stretching and mobility um Honestly, the hardest thing for me is is that because I'm probably like the least flexible person you can imagine. But I don't know. Like my my fiance, she's like surprised how rigid my joints are. She's how did how's it possible that your legs don't bend more? <laughs> I have a I have a buddy who's really into mobility. Like that's his primary thing he does now. And every time I see him and he shows me a new stretch, he's like, "My God, you have a body of an eighty year old." And his like his reaction is like genuine too. He's just like. He looks at me with disgust, like, oh, what, what, like, what? How is that possible? Like, it's just like, and I'm a little shameful. I'm like, I'm trying the mobility here, man. Like, my, my hip flexors are so bad. Anyway, I've grown to really appreciate that part of the, 
the workout routine now because I really do need it. Like I get a lot of back and spine pain and neck pain. And, and so you might even see me stretching here and there during the interview because I'm standing, but I can't help it. Anyway, that's uh interesting <laughs> segue we went there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> F45, anything else you guys want to riff off of there? Their stock is like a penny stock too. So if you really believe in it, it could be, you know, shoot to oh, the moon. Man. Retire no. early. <laughs> Does Dr. Mebel prescribe this? You know, I think I prescribe exercise. I think <laughs> exercise, whatever form that you you want to, you know, have it in. I think for, for some of us, we need more of an organized way, someone showing how it's done. Other people are more into, if you're into like games, or you like to play soccer or you like to play basketball or what have you, that's just like the way you exercise, that, that's great. But I think being active is, is just so important. Seeing patients with all sorts of issues, you know, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, all sorts of stuff. And um, I guess a biased population of people that I see. But I think exercise is just so, there's so much good evidence that exercise is just so good for you, for your cardiovascular health and all of that stuff. But also like for your mental health. It's oh, a yeah. huge thing for mental health. Vouch. Yeah. Um, maybe for the last part, there's one thing that maybe we could tie into here. So we did mention briefly before that you came from a pharmacology background and I did a little internet sleuthing on you. And so I found an old article where you were talking, I think it was back in 2012, you're talking about your research and it was like something to do with neuropeptides involved with maladaptive behavior and addictions and it actually had to do with food too, if I remember correctly, mm. and eating. I think what I'm curious is you've taken that knowledge and you kind of see the modern plague today. This is a common question I ask guests, but the addiction and obsession and the short attention span and all that, what kind of lessons did you, could you take from that research and your involvement with that into the modern era? Like what parallels do you see with overconsumption of bad foods into today's generation where it's maybe overconsumption of short form videos or video games or porn or what have you? Well, I mean, I think it's very interesting because I think it probably has changed over the last decade or so, but, but addiction, I feel like it used to be, or probably still is when people think about the concept of addiction uh people often would think about drugs addicted to yeah opioids addicted to stimulants addicted to pot addicted to you know sniffing glue all sorts of stuff that's most of us would probably smoking most of us would probably know it's or would say yeah it's probably bad for you it's probably not really great for you smoking we know it's it's not great having a drink every day probably we know it's not great but, but I think the concept of addiction extends to so much more than the substances. It, it extends to behaviors like what you were alluding to. You know, gambling is a big example. This compulsive gambling, addicting, being addicted to other behaviors that are maybe not as damaging as doing 
heroin or something like that. But I think the interesting part is that the physiology uh, of it is is the same. So addiction to high fat, high sugar food is something I used to study in the lab and, and sort of the signaling in the brain that happens and how it happens. And what we discovered, uh, not really specifically us, but what people have discovered is, is that it's, it's really the same pathways in the brain that are in, involved in developing addiction to drugs. It's literally the same pathway, pathways that are propagating this behavior, behavioral addictions. And it's very interesting. It's this part of the brain that's it's called the limbic system. People refer to it as the reptile brain or this kind of the old brain that doesn't really have higher cortical functioning that we developed through uh, you know, millions of years of evolution. It's this primitive behaviors that are associated with the rewards that we experience. And it's crazy. I like to think about things from the evolutionary perspective. I always like to think well, there's certain activity we do or a certain condition we have, disease we have, or certain pattern of behavior that we have. There's often, I think, there's an evolutionary reason for it. So obviously evolutionary reason for having this addiction, addictive behaviors is to survive and propagate, you know? Things that sort of you associate with reward, you associate with pleasure, that they're probably good for you. Having some something to eat, people derive pleasure from that. And that helps you survive drinking, eating the necessary things for survival. Uh, sex, propagation of species, but the, there's an evolutionary reason for it. But what happens, this uh, agents such as drugs, but also the other things like food, high sugar food, high fat food, they sort of hijack the circuit. And they really jack it up to the point that it's in so much overdrive. That's a very kind of simplistic way to explain it, but it's in so much overdrive that regular activities and regular behaviors that normally associate with the reward just don't cut it anymore. You know, yeah. having something that's some healthy food is just not going to be as rewarding, as satisfying as having cheesy slice of pizza. And that's what happens. And that it's really unfortunate because what happened, the, the food industry recognized it a long time ago, obviously, and they capitalized on that. And there's this whole, I forget, there's, I forgot the author of this book, but there's this book about this types of foods. And then they talk about this point of bliss, this kind of triple point of sugar, fat, and salt being, you know, that nachos is like the prime example, cheesy wow. nachos, you know, it's like so hard to stop. When you're eating a bag of chips or eating nachos, you just, you know, you had one and you're like, okay, this is going to be the last one. And, you know, next thing you know, you're reaching for the next one already. And the reason for that is because this is, you know, we were made this way through millions of years because this is what helped our ancestors to survive. There's a reason avocados are so delicious because they are so high in fat. Naturally, this, they're probably, you know, one of the highest, you know, fat content vegetables there are. 
or fruit or whatever. I don't even know. Is it, is it a fruit or berry <laughs> or I don't, I don't know. Seed, one of so them. Maybe. Yeah. It okay. has seeds. So who knows? <laughs> but but anyway, so the, the, it's it's rewarding to eat those because it's so full of calories. That's that's going to be beneficial, like for our ancestors where they were spent day gathering, hunting, and basically spent all of their wakeful hours looking for food. If you can land on this, if you get this opportunity, you get something that's like the biggest bang for your buck for the time span, you get the most amount of calories. That is the way to go. That's just, that's just evolution. So I, mean, anyway, I feel like I'm rambling on and on. It's completely fine. But uh, I have to admit, you mentioned nachos and avocados, and now I just kind of want nachos and guac. And all yeah, and <laughs> yeah. It's like, I just went in a trance there myself. Like you did the triforce thing to me. That sweet spot, the salty, the fatty, the, That's the right. sweet, everything. We can put a soda in there, man. I'm good to go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm always. I I do this every year, and I usually do it around my birthday. And I, I get a medium pizza because, like, I I hate to admit it. I I I can't eat an entire large pizza, but I get a medium triple cheese Domino's pizza with pepperoni Italian sauce. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I do it every year and I just eat the entire thing in one go. And like oh, it just feels it's just like it's a high and you just drown it's a high. it. So yeah. like I'll get the yeah. diet coke because it'll be a little bit healthier, right? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Crushing a pizza yourself is one of the most amazing feelings. I don't know why. It's just especially when it's blazing hot, you're just like engulfing the whole thing. Oh. Well, I time it. Like I like we go to the same Domino's group, but like I, I order it. I know they'll be done, and I'm oh, I'm yeah. there like one minute before, and I live so close. I'm just huffing it back home, and I'm just jamming this pizza in my mouth. Because <laughs> like yeah, it's like oh, it, nothing nothing could beat the feeling of this like straight out of the oven, essentially, right? Oh. Like there's way better like tasting food, but something about this guilty pleasure. It always I don't like, know what it is. It's sinful. It, it, it just feels good for that first 10 minutes and you will yeah. get it after. <laughs> like doing drugs. Like doing drugs. There it is. And then you're chasing the dragon and then you, you just, you can never get to that same hot, cheesy, saucy sensation. Save me. Save me, Dr. Mibble. What do I do? I'm about to run the Domino's right now. What F45. Do I... You should be running to F45 instead. <laughs> Exactly. Like I, I should, I should improve my diet. I don't think I've, I've, I have the cleanest diet, but then I'm just like, Hey, at least I'm doing F45. It kind of bounces out. Yeah. Like yeah. the energy. Yeah, it's like, you gotta have, you know, I think you have to have some, some cheat days. Cause otherwise yeah, no, you, like, sure. your life is just like, then it becomes a red race as well. Like yeah. you're just miserable. <laughs> you need to have your, your pizza. You need to have McDonald's once in a while. You need to have, Whatever, whatever your you know favorite food is. Uh, what's yours? I think you need that. What's your What's That's your guilty question. pleasure meal? Oh man, I would probably say fried chicken, Korean fried chicken. <laughs> yeah. oh, what flavor of Korean fried chicken? Like like yum yum, like, <laughs> oh, like a little Lord. bit of a spice, a little bit of um, sweetness. Yeah, is with that the pickle radishes just to cut through the fat? We need we need a sponsorship. So what's your what's your go to Korean fried chicken place? <laughs> oh man, where do I start? Where do I start? Pick three, then you can't pick there's, one. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of good places, honestly. Um, I used to go to. Okay, Kusu is pretty good. I think Kusu okay. is good. That they have a few long. locations, and this place called BBQ Chicken. Okay, oh, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's it's a, a chain. Sensation. It's a chain. Yeah, 
Okay. You know, when I was in Boston, there was a place, because they have BBQ chicken there too, there was a place like literally not even a block away. And that was so dangerous. It was just <laughs> so tempting. And like, you don't even need to get like Uber Eats. You literally just call them, you like walk, it takes like two minutes. <laughs> You know, it, it, yeah, it, it was a real problem. It was a real problem. Right after F45, straight for the chicken. <laughs> right, yeah, 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 yeah. What, what else do you do to uh, let loose to get all the rat race? What are your, like, favorite things to get your mind off or maybe have some fun? Yeah, I think maybe not the healthiest hobby out of all the hobbies. I like making cocktails. Oh. I like making drinks. Cool. Yeah. It's pretty new. I'd say it's kind of like a like a COVID hobby where, you know, all the places were shut down, all the bars were shut down. It was just a depressing time for, for everyone. And then I kind of just started watching videos on cocktails. There's a lot of good stuff there. That's so a lot cool. of channels on YouTube. It's pretty cool. And then you sort of, you kind of like start accumulating things, you know, accumulate some syrups, you accumulate some liqueurs some spirits and you discover new recipes and you try them out sometimes you don't really like it other times you feel like oh this is pretty awesome and then you find another recipe that has this like one ingredient that you don't have so you go you go buy and then you're like oh now you can make like this and this and it's a bit of an escalating thing and some sort of like bar like paraphernalia like shakers and strainers and muddlers and yeah you know like just something to do uh obviously you got to be a little careful with alcohol consumption <laughs> i uh, remember during COVID, fun. i was like i was like making all these drinks i was like oh man this is uh this is like my you know eighth day in a row of like <laughs> experimenting with a cocktail and this is like the second one i'm having today like, this is probably not something I should be doing, like, on a day-to-day -day basis. In the name of science. It's okay, In the name of science. F F45 bounces, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, go for a run after a couple of cocktails. Yeah. There you go. Well, I don't know. I'm, we're drawn to a close here, but unless you got anything else, Matthew, I'm going to ask one of our final questions to Dimitri. I don't know if you want to continue the tradition of random lightning round questions, Drew, and alternate between nonsensical questions. And you can't <laughs> think about the answer. You just have to shoot it out of your mouth in like three seconds. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, we, can, we, can try a, we can try an impromptu lightning round right now. Yeah, we could. Are you up okay. for that? Let's do it. All right. You can go first, Matthew. Domino's or Pizza Hut? Domino's. Hands down. Oh, hands down. Why? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, it just tastes better. I, I can't explain it. I, it just tastes so much better. Oh. I'm, I know. I know. I'm, I'm down, I'm, 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 I agree. I'm on yeah. Team Domino's. Like, I think their <laughs> yeah. crust, yeah. like, crust is not really like, I love grease, but I don't know. Their bread is like, it's not, it's like a vehicle to soak in the grease from the cheese where Pizza Hut is just grease throughout. I find That's it's like right. it's, it's too heavy. It's a vehicle. You need a grease <laughs> delivery system that cannot be grease itself. <laughs> and, yeah, <dumb. laughs> All right. Um, Apple or Android? I have Apple. I have Apple. You know what? I I could have been, I feel like I could have easily been an Android guy. 
just happen to get an iPhone and then I'm just a man of habit. And it's so hard for me to, once I start, it's a problem. It's, it's probably like a character weakness. I, I'm just sort of get set in my ways and it, it's, I'm just so resistant to change. It's just like, I, I understand how things work and I, I'm just, yeah. Well, Apple does a good job of that though. They make you like, it's like a little cloud. They're just very comfy lying in it and they just yeah. feed you. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I used to have like my first cell phone when I was a little kid in Russia was a Siemens phone and I loved it. And it was so, it was not a smartphone. And then my, no, it was like a, it was kind of like the Nokia, like 3310 or whatever. It was just like a, like a solo unit, like a, like a brick, whatever style. It was very similar to that. And then I think they actually stopped. And then I had like a like a sort of like an early smartphone from them as well. I really like them. I think I like that that style that they had. But then, uh, yeah, when the iPhone, I think it was two thousand nine, I got my first iPhone, like iPhone three G, three GS. That's what love, it was. Love at first sight. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I thought it was like so cool. I was like, man, the whole screen is just like. There's no buttons. Yeah. Have you ever seen like this is digression? But <laughs> you guys are probably like, who is this fool? Like he's like talking way more than all the <laughs> other guests. <laughs> I, I, I like it a lot. <laughs> but have you ever seen have you ever seen this old interview when they're interviewing this guy from um from Microsoft? I forget not uh not Bill, it was it was someone else. Steve Palmer. Maybe, and then like he was there. Very emotional guy, maybe at the top. <laughs> maybe, yeah. and they ask him. They ask him, "What do you think about the iPhone?" And his response is just like, "This is like the phone's got no buttons. This is like the stupidest thing ever. Like, no buttons. Like, who would ever buy a phone with no buttons?" And then, like, you know, fast forward now, and just like jokes on you. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that was uh that was Balmer for sure. Yeah. Classic. Um, all right. All right. Fire. Do we have another one? One more. Well, this is F45 related. Resistance days or cardio days. Oh, oh. man, that's a tough one. Oh. <laughs> oh. I would probably say resistance days cuz cardio like I think it's easier for me to kind of go hard with resistance, like really push myself. Because if I push myself with cardio, it just gets so tiring, especially like those intense sessions that they sometimes have. Like it feels good at the end, but I'm just dead at the end of those 45 minutes. So I would go, I would go with resistance. But the uh, best one is Saturday, where you do a balance. Oh, yes. So Saturdays, for, for people who don't know, is special. They break their 45-minute rule. It's actually one hour. That's right. And Saturday is, is, I don't do too many of the Saturdays, but it is, it's weird because like your body is so conditioned for the 45. They just add that tag on the extra 15, and it's like, what the heck? You feel it. <laughs> you, you definitely you feel those feel extra 15 minutes. <laughs> but the way I think about it is like it's like a bonus because you still pay the same. Yeah, <laughs> for the session, but you get like extra fifteen minutes, so it's like, it's a great deal. It it is horrible because like, like I'm just on the weekly unlimited plan, and it's mm. like I'm I'm very value oriented, right? So it's just like even the plus side of 
the high membership fee is, you're less likely to skip out on it because you're losing value. <laughs> Yeah. So at minimum, Very I'll true. go four times a week, preferably five times a week, and anything after that is just bonus. <laughs> That's good, good for you, man. Good That's actually really impressive. Man, I think I found we found a bigger fan of F45 than me. <laughs> sure. We really need a sponsor now. They're coming after they listen to this. And then the next lightning round, we can we can see which location is better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh no. Actually, I do have one more. I don't know if this counts as lightning around, but I kind of want, I don't know why I'm so curious to ask you this. If you didn't do medicine, what would you be doing? That's a good question. I, I think I would, I like to teach. A teacher? I think I would do some sort of teaching. Maybe not like, I don't think I would have the patience for like elementary school, high school, uh, but I would teach kind of college level. Sciences think, or? Yeah. Yeah, probably, probably. I did a lot of tutoring when I was in undergrad. And I actually just, I mean, just as a little like side gig, just to make some money and stuff. But I genuinely always enjoyed it. And I think I enjoyed because I, I just like that kind of feeling of when you explain things, maybe from like you try different approaches and the person actually gets it. Oh, yeah. I find it really rewarding. When, when someone a, actually understands, you're like, oh man, see, it's actually not as hard as you thought. Like it's, it's actually like this and this. So I, I really enjoy that. Oh, that's very wholesome, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we ask uh, every guest this, but wanted to ask you, Dimitri, what is your definition or meaning of fulfillment? Hmm. Good question. I think it's, um, I'll just maybe think out loud. Okay. I think it's just, I, first of all, I think it's probably an evolving definition that, that kind of changes with age and where you are in terms of your life situation and career and just in general where you are in your life. I, I, think, I think your priorities evolve. And for me, starting kind of early on it was much more kind of clear-cut so what makes me fulfilled it's it's very simple like getting good grades or doing well that's like middle school like high school or you know doing well on the test or things like that or you know going on a date with with someone i liked or something like that just very kind of maybe short-sighted really kind of um quick reward type of things that don't have like a long-term implications. And I think going more and more through life, I think I'm sort of starting to think more about the friends and family, how important they are and how important it is to maintain the relationships with them and, and also help them, whatever it is, if it's, you know, if it means helping someone move they're moving to a different apartment or helping by just giving them an opportunity to to talk have a drink chat about some tough time that they're going through or, or just kind of give them that opportunity i think having that um making yourself available for your loved ones like working on those relationships and feeling like those relationships are growing 
with with time is is uh, fulfilling. I think that's that's fulfilling. But that's kind of just the the personal aspect. And I think this professional aspect, um, uh, I I find my job very fulfilling. Uh, not on a just a day to day like little interactions, which are also fulfilling. But I I just find the idea of the work I do is fulfilling, and it's not just kind of the cliche like helping people around you. You you do help people as much as you can, but it's also contributing to the work environment. It's not just the patients that we work with. We also work with each other. We work with nurses, physicians, and I think that. The big aspect for me, at least, of of yours, of my satisfaction with with my career, with my job, is just the social aspects of my professional interactions with people at work. And I think having, you know, whether it means just tense, uh, easing tense situations through humor, some you know, a few jokes, or just keeping things light, or or helping colleagues at work, I find that fulfilling. So wow. I think it's really multifaceted. Mm. That's awesome. That's probably like the most complete answer I've heard. I really uh, like how you took the personal and the professional. We yeah, haven't you, had anybody who kind of you, categorized you split it, it both. Yeah. <laughs> this certainly lived up to the hype. Thank you so much, Dimitri, for coming on the pod. Maybe we'll see you for a round two. Maybe you'll uh, see you at F45 with a cocktail. <laughs> that's right that's right thank you so much guys really appreciate uh the time and thank you for inviting me and that was a lot of fun i really enjoyed the talk we had some good convo yeah. oh likewise good dude. Oh, thank you